our worship. If you're able to remain standing just for a bit longer, please do so. I would also invite you to uh, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, you could grab that and turn to page uh, uh, 1012. James chapter 4. Thank you guys for helping us to sing to the Lord this morning. We're grateful for your willingness to help us and to lead us. Although we're going to look at the first three verses of chapter 4, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and start reading in chapter 3, verse 13, and then read down through verse 3 of chapter 4. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. Your word is true. Your word is living, it's active. So as we continue our time of worship in your presence, we would ask that now your word would do its work in our lives. We would ask for you to change us, to, to speak to those areas that, that still need the grace of your word. So Father, may you be honored even in this movement of our worship. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, really, we have begun a segment that began in chapter 3, verse 1, and will take us all the way over to verse 12 of chapter 4. And um, the, the bookends of this section pertained to uh, our speech, our use of the tongue, the words that we speak to each other. That's how it starts in 3.1, and that's how it will wrap up in 4.12. And yet, now in these middle parts, 
we're dealing with um, uh, really what gives rise to our words, what shapes our words. And what gives rise and shape to our words is the wisdom or lack thereof in our hearts. From our hearts, our mouths speak. And by our words, we reveal a presence of wisdom or a lack of wisdom. So as we begin in chapter 4 this morning, James, as he has done on several points, he, he leads out his new point of discussion by asking a question. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Two things I want us to think about in these three verses. We'll borrow from some other verses as well. Uh, but first thing I want us to note is the war that we engage in with other people. And then the second thing I want us to consider is the war that we engage in in our prayers. First of all, warring with other people. Uh, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? And on the count of three, uh, somebody yell out somebody else's name. Don't do that. In a sense, we've already been provided the answer to what causes quarrels and what causes fights among us. On the one hand, James has cast this question here in an interpersonal way. There's two parties, and these two parties are at war with each other. They are fighting and quarreling with each other. And James asks, what caused that? You might notice how he concluded chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, the, the, the theme that runs through a life filled with wisdom is a, a heart and a life filled with wisdom is a heart and a life that seeks peace. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of Righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he's just finished up a conversation concerning peace. People who are wise are peace lovers. People who are wise peace lovers do things that contribute to peace. And people who are peace lovers who do things to contribute to peace actually reap uh, peacefulness in their lives. In distinction from that, we're now talking not about peace, but about war. And he gives us the answer to what causes quarrels and what causes fights in verses 14, 15, and 16 of James chapter 3. It's not wisdom that causes quarrels and fights. It's the lack of wisdom. It's folly that causes quarrels and fights he says, but, 
But if, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. There will be quarrels and there will be fighting. There will be war. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Based upon the comparison contrast between wisdom and folly in our hearts, he says there in verse 1 of chapter 4, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Interpersonal conflict is rooted in intra personal conflict. We're apt to think, well, the reason that I'm surrounded by all of this conflict and quarreling is because I'm surrounded by fools. Still one of my favorite songs, maybe I should admit this in church on a Sunday morning, but 1972, uh, uh, Spinner's Wheel, uh, Stuck in the Middle with You, Clowns to the Left of Me, Jokers to the Right, Here I Am, Stuck in the Middle with You. I mean, my problems are you. I'm surrounded by quarrelsome, ornery, fight-loving people. James says, that's not what I'm talking about. James says, take your eyes off of other people for a moment and and let's talk about another location for the causation of your quarreling and of your warring. Is it not this? Could it not be this? That you have a war occurring inside of you? Specifically, is it not your passions that are at war within you, there is a great conflict and war within our hearts and souls. And he locates that critter, that warlike critter, as our passions. Let me explain what I think the scriptures mean by that. We use the word passion today to describe something that we have a strong drive for. I have a passion for bicycle riding, or I have a passion for coffee, or I have a passion for book reading, or whatever, something you have a strong inclination for. He's not talking about passion in that sense of the word. He's talking about passion in terms of passions, uh, the inclinations, the desires, or even the aversions that percolate around in our hearts and souls. And, and, and he labels these inclinations and desires and aversions passions because I think what he means by they are Covetous desires. They are, on the one hand, wanting, having an inclination or a desire of wanting something that is forbidden. Wanting something that the scripture says 
you shouldn't have. Now, I'll, I'll illustrate what I mean by some of this in a moment, but for now, let me just kind of think through with us some of the foundation of what is this thing that is at war within us? It is, it is our passions the way that, that we still, even those of us who name the name of Jesus, we still have inclinations, we still have desires for things that the scripture forbids. Or another variation of that, maybe it's something that the scripture doesn't forbid, it actually permits, but we want it wrongly. On the one hand, what are some things that we might want that are forbidden or that we might want that are permitted, but we would want them in wrong ways? Well, we, we think of the 10th commandment of covetousness. We want what belongs to somebody else. A passion is an inclination or a desire to want what's not ours. To want what God has said that's not yours. You can't have that. To which we say, but I want it anyway, and I'm going to get it. And my neighbor has it. Could not just be our neighbor's stuff. Could be the status that our neighbor has. Maybe, maybe you live by a fancy neighbor who's got it who's got it all and who's got a reputation, who's got, a, who's got respect, who's got uh, the accolades, who's got honor. Ugh. Don't you hate neighbors like that? Maybe it's a relationship that you want. Now, it's not, it's not wrong to want a relationship. Oh, we were, we were made in the image of a relational God. We were made for relationships but maybe the particular type of relationship that you want is either forbidden in Scripture or you, you want it in a wrong kind of way. Maybe you want physical intimacy with another human being outside the context of marriage. It's not wrong to want physical intimacy. It's just not proper to want that. It, it goes against the grain of God's will for, to want that outside of the beauty of Marital covenant. Maybe you want the influence that that other people have. Maybe you maybe you get on Facebook or Twitter and you see the the, the way that they're able to influence and shape thought. Like man, I'm just like a nobody. And this guy's famous. He's look how many look how many followers he's got. Look how much. Influence he has. We want something. Now, the, the counterpart, if you would, to passions, which I think, I think as the scripture describes it, passions are inclinations and, and desires that are unholy or ungodly. There are godly desires and inclinations and, and aversions. I would suggest that maybe to keep things straight, we would call those affections. Those are, are godly inclinations or godly desires or godly aversions. 
But passions are ungodly desires, aversions, or inclinations. Passions hate the wrong things, and they love the wrong things. Affections love the right things and hate the right things. And, and yet, therein lies the, maybe the bit of the civil war of sorts that James is trying to cryptically describe here. Is, is, it, is it not that there are passions at war within you? That, that, the, that the passions, the, the ungodly inclination, desires, and aversions are, 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 are at, opposed to these godly affections, these godly inclinations and desires and aversions. Now, one of the things that I think our culture is tremendously getting wrong is um, we are living in a culture that says if you desire something, it must ipso facto be legitimate. I mean, because why else would you have that desire if it wasn't legitimate? So if you desire something that is forbidden in Scripture, then, well, the Scripture's wrong at that point because, because you, you should have what you want. The scripture helps us to sort out between uh, an ungodly passion and a godly affection because our desires must be morally informed and must be morally shaped. We, if, we, if we feel we want something, we have to run to the scriptures. We have to run to our Lord and, and seek the Lord in his scriptures to determine this thing that I feel like I want, this thing that I feel like I, ha- I must have, this, this thing that I have an inclination for, this thing that I have a desire, or this thing that I have an aversion of. Is this, how does this correspond? How is this shaped by the wisdom of Scripture? You see, our passions are not neutral, nor are our passions to be the thing that defines who we are. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war on your soul. Our culture of authenticity has gone so far as to try to catechize us and teach us that the heart wants what the heart wants. Love is love. Well, as a sidebar, I would just say, yeah, water is water, but I'm not going to take a drink out of the toilet. You'll get that later. We, we take these things that we feel, these urges, these inclinations, the desires, the aversions that we have, and we say, Lord, what does your word say? How does your word speak to that which I feel like I want, that I feel like I must have, that I, that I have a strong impulse or desire for? Or without that sort of address and that sort of correction, then our passions will run amok and they will want that which is forbidden by the God who made us. 
Now, these passions or even these affections, these, these inclinations, desires, and aversions, if you would, uh, it, is, it, is, it is these things that then um, flow downstream and create our emotions. In other words, our, our emotions, things like anger, things like anxiety, things like despair, those are all plugged in to either our passions or our affections, our godly or ungodly desires and inclinations and aversions. In other words, so when there's something that you desire and you lack it, you don't have it, but you want it, then, then that tension between you want it and you don't have it is what triggers things like anger. Anger because you don't have what you want and your neighbor does. So what do you say we go kill us a neighbor and take what they got? Is that, is that you covet and you cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have? So you murder. On the other hand, when, 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 the, when the sun's bright and shiny, when, when you have all that you feel like you want, all that you desire, then, then that creates a whole other kind of uh, emotions. Uh, calm. Satisfaction. And yet, if, if, if your neighbor is creeping in on you and they, they want to take that which creates your joy and your uh, calm and your satisfaction when, it's, when that's being threatened, uh, then, then, the, then the emotions kick back in again. We, we begin to be anxious. We might lose what, what brings us our satisfaction. We, we, might, we might get angry when you're trying to take with that which is, which is mine. Uh, we might feel filled with despair because your neighbor has taken what you need. Such a wonderful portrait that the scriptures give to us in understanding the human condition and why we do what we do. I have a, I have two majors in undergrad. I have a degree in Bible and I have a degree in behavioral sciences. And, uh, and what's interesting is I still, have, I still have my Bible and I still have my, all of my behavioral science textbooks. I'm such a nerd. Now, if I went to the campus bookstore this afternoon, well, it's probably closed, but tomorrow, I'll say, and I wanted to sell back all of my behavioral science textbooks. Would I be in for a big surprise? I would. Why? Because uh, I, I have the second edition, and they're now on the 58th edition. And, and the, the point that I'm trying to make from that is we, we say, well, wow, the Bible is not a psychological textbook. No, it's not. It's something infinitely superior than a psychological textbook. 
It's, there's no obsolescence in, the, in what the scripture gives to us for how humans function, why we do what we do, what's going on in our hearts and souls. Long before uh, we thought we really figured out the human condition, we had the scriptures that helps us to figure out the human condition. The scripture locates in the human heart as to why you and I can't quite get along with each other is because there's something in our hearts and souls that can't even quite get along with our own selves. Our desires, our inclinations, our aversions drive what we do. Now, now later, later, James, as he goes on, and I hope you didn't read ahead yet because you'll, you'll ruin it uh, for the rest of us. Uh, uh, but, uh, but ultimately, he will root this intrapersonal conflict uh, that, is, that, that, is, that is rooted in an intrapersonal conflict. He'll root that in our heart's relationship with the Lord. But he touches on that here in the end of the reading today. Of course, as he says, uh, um, you have not because you do not ask. And so he's really transitioned from the war that we have with others to the war that we play out even in our prayers. And, and, And of course, the first example is not prayer at all. In other words, there's something that you and I want. Our neighbor has it. Somebody else has it. And so it's just easier to go to war with our neighbor over it than it is for us to ask God for it. It's a horrible malady of this human soul. Now, on some cases, we, we won't ask God for it because, well, we already know what he thinks about this. She's trying to ruin our lives, isn't he? I want my neighbor's wife, and so if I ask the Lord for that, he's going to say, Joe, you knucklehead. And so I'm just not going to ask him for it. I'm just going to go figure out a strategy to get it anyway. See, we try to make our life work. We try to elevate our passions and our inclinations and our aversions over the will of God in our lives. And we're not talking to him about it because we already know what he feels about it. And so it just makes more sense to go to war with other people over this. Or let's take an example of something that maybe it's, it's permitted in scripture. I think it's permitted. I think it'd be real. Say, say what you really have a desire for. Say what you and I have an inclination for is that we want to be respected. I don't think uh, the scripture uh, uh, forbids that. And I would suggest that in a couple ways. First of all, we are told in scripture to respect other people, to show respect to other people, to show honor toward other people. I think that implies that if we're required to show honor and respect toward other people, then in a sense, it's, it's kind of a natural human phenomenon that we would desire such a critter. 
you, that you would, you would want your, um, your co-workers to respect you. You would want your spouse to respect you. You would want your kids to respect you. I, I, I don't think that's a forbidden desire or inclination. And yet sometimes what do you do when you live between the desire, and it's not something that's forbidden, it's even possibly permitted, and yet, and yet you're not receiving it. At least you're not receiving it to the level that your heart is satisfied with. And it's even in that context that we're willing to go to war with others over that. I want your respect. And if you won't give me that respect to the level that I am satisfied with, then there will be war. I think what James is suggesting for an example like that is, you know, before you go to war, have you thought about asking me to work? Have you thought to bring that desire that you have for something that's permitted, it's certainly not forbidden, it's just that it's not occurring right now, and, and your heart aches because of that, your heart feels a lack or a void because of that. Have you considered taking that ache and that void, that lack, and, and submitting that to me rather than developing your own strategies to acquire it? Have you... Have you opted to wait upon the Lord for something that he can affect a change about? You know, if, you're, if your spouse doesn't respect you, that's a horrible situation to be in. I wouldn't wish that on anybody except my neighbor who's got some stuff I, that I really want. But, but, but other, that's not true. But anyway... But what do you do when you're living in between that gap there? We start figuring out strategies, don't we? Not prayer strategies, but strategies of conniving, strategies of cajoling, strategies of manipulating. And if those don't work, then strategies of slander, and then strategies of counterattack. You see, all, all of those create conflicts and quarrels. It's because you and I want something that on the one hand is not forbidden to want, it's just that it's not uh, falling into place in the time and the way and the fashion and the details that we want it, and so we feel vindicated to go to war. Or we could talk to our Father in heaven. You have not because you ask not. We have a heavenly Father in Christ Jesus who regards us as dear to him. And what that means is the things that we feel that we desire or want, and even the things that his word permits us to want or desire, we take those things to the Lord. You say, well, he's too slow. He, I, I could get this a lot faster than waiting on him. I think that's how most of us consider that. We wait around for him we're never going to get it in the time that we want. I need respect right now. 
Do you see how we've then taken something that is permitted and we've elevated it to a level of demand? And if the Lord does not grant it to us in the time and in the scope that we wish it to occur, then that's fine. He can go do his thing, but I'm going to take care of myself. Have not because you ask not. We have a heavenly father that if we pour out our heart to him and, and, and what it is that we desire or want, then he can sort out if we need it, how we need it, where we need it, the amount that we need. Are you okay with that? Well, I'm okay with that as long as he gets right on the ball and gets it to me. But to sit there and wait on him? <sighs> this is why I think the Psalms are so helpful. They, they cast things in lived experiences. Let me, let me just read a portion of Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of evildoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I'll come back to that verse. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. Scripture speaks to these desires of our hearts. It even helps to sort out which desires are legitimate, could be godly affections, and which desires are inordinate. They are ungodly passions. And it calls for us to take the things that we want or think that we want or have an inclination or a desire for, and it calls us to then hold these out before the Lord and to wait upon him. But then James adds another caveat to this. He says there, you do not have because you do not ask. And then he throws in the other factor to how we war in our prayers. We ask and we do not receive. Almost sounds like a contradiction. The reason you don't have it is because you didn't ask. And then he says, well, then you asked and you still don't have. Well, like, I'm still in the same mess. Then he explains what he means by that. Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your, we're back to the word in verse one, your passions that war within us. You see, we can take the things that we desire and bring those to the Lord because we have a heavenly father who regards us as dear to him. But really what James is also saying is that we, not only do we have a heavenly father who we are dear to, we have a heavenly father 
whose good and wise plans include actually reforming our desires. We have a good heavenly father who says sometimes in response to our prayers for what we want, he says, no, I love you too much to give that to you. I love you too much to put you in that situation. I love you too much to to offer that to you. The answer is no. No, not because I'm cruel, but no, because I'm wise and good. See, what James is doing is he's scraping out for us an understanding of a deeper purpose of prayer. Prayer is is not to merely be a means for us to get, to use God to get what we really want. No, prayer is to be a means by which we draw near to God to get Him, that which we were created to have. So when he says in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He doesn't mean that as a means to an end. In other words, if you just kind of tacitly say, okay, Lord, I delight in you. Now could I have these other things? No, what he's saying is if we earnestly delight in the Lord, if he is our desire, our inclination, if we have an aversion to anything that would impede our relationship with the Lord because he is our delight, then he is not for one moment going to withhold any of himself from us. So do you see how these warring passions within us that create a warlike experience around us is solved through the God who has made us. In fact, he's come to rescue us from our passions. He's come in the form of his son uh, who has lived a perfect life, who has fulfilled all righteousness, And he has laid his life out on the cross. And there at the cross, he died for people like us. He died for our sins, not just our behavioral sins, although we sure have a a mess of those that need to be cleaned up and pardoned. But he's come to also clean up and pardon us of our inordinate desires, our ungodly passions. And he's placed his spirit within all who trust in him so that we now begin to have godly affections. We now begin to have a source of wisdom to sort out that which we ought to desire and that which we can now cultivate new desires in that would push out, that would weaken uh, the ungodly passions that we have in our hearts and souls. So it begins with Jesus. Delighting in God begins by delighting in Jesus. For it is in his presence that we have fullness of joy. It is in his presence that we have pleasures forevermore. It is in the presence of Jesus that our hearts can begin to be calmed and redirected to desire the things that are pleasing to God. 
So Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work that he does on our behalf at the cross, how you have raised him from the dead. Thank you for the work that he now does in the hearts and lives of his children by his indwelling spirit within us. We thank you for the renovation that he has begun in us to cure us from our ungodly passions and to instill into us new affections. So Father, may we delight in your Son. For we pray this in Jesus' name.